All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thanks, everyone, for uh, uh, coming back to us on the now Dolphins Week episode. Had uh, had the last weekend off because of the bye week. I hope you all enjoyed it. I know I did. And now the Bills are back for the task at hand, which is a lot of games in a row here against teams that have not won a lot of games themselves. Starts with the Dolphins this week, and it, then they go on the road for a couple against the Jaguars and the Jets. And, uh, and yeah, it's a lot of people are assuming that uh, the Bills will come out of this stretch 3-0. and And it begins with a game against a Dolphins team that are probably a little tougher than you think they are. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that as we go along. Again, thanks everybody for jumping in on today's show. Um, well, when we get closer to the end of the show, we'll get into the the weeds of the matchup and the challenges that the Dolphins present. Some things that you know maybe I spotted on film. Um, before that, we also will get a chance to chat with our buddy Tim Graham, who um, spent the weekend slash into this week uh, at the NFL owners meetings and speaking with a lot of different people about the Bills stadium situation. And since I know that's a topic that um, registers a lot of opinions about the location, what type of stadium it should be, everything along those lines, I wanted to pick Tim's brain about uh, about what the latest is from that respect, maybe downtown versus Orchard Park, which is a debate a lot of people are having, and then, of course, um, a timeline and everything along those lines. Plus, Tim is just a funny guy. So it's, it's good to have him on the show because, you know, he's, he, he is, uh, he is a, uh, one of a kind that Tim Graham. And, uh, I'm sure a lot of you agree with me in that respect. All right. But before, uh, we get to Tim and before we get to the matchup itself, I wanted to take some time because, you know, the post game show is really dedicated to what the, uh, what, what the game looked like. And, We'll go through a lot of that, and I'm sure there will be some of the topic today that leads into that show, but I wanted to take a hard look at the trade deadline uh, from a Bills scope more than anything, because I think the Bills are in a position where they have a GM who has shown to be aggressive on deadline deal day, Um, hasn't been in in a minute, but he has been in the past especially when he feels like his team is close and needs something to get him over the hump or maybe some depth that they can add. But uh, but the trade deadline is coming up. It's next Tuesday, um, November 2nd, and the Bills don't have like a clear, defined need as to where they are heading into this Dolphins game. They've been relatively lucky um, in the form of injury. They have seen a lot of their young players that they've hoped for some tangible results have come to fruition. Um, They have seen a lot of their rotational guys really perform well to the point in which I think they probably have the strongest top-to-bottom roster in the NFL, um, especially when you consider the injury factor. The only big injury that they've had so far, I mean, Matt Milano, who missed one game for a hamstring injury, and maybe you can say Star Latule, he missed the first game of the season due to due to an injury. And then Dawson Knox, who you know, has a fracture in his in his hand and is going to miss this Dolphins game coming up at least. But that's pretty much been it. And you can't predict injury. You can't really 
Um, you can't really know when a guy is going to get rolled up on the wrong way. It's just very random, and it, a lot of times it's what makes uh, the the variance of results in the NFL what what we've seen it. And the Bills have been really like um, they've been really fortunate the last couple of years, actually. And we'll see if that kind of continues for them. Um, certainly, it's it's not a bankable thing. And that's why you need the depth in place, which is where the Bills are stronger than a lot of teams. So that's where I kind of wanted to focus on the trade deadline because I don't know that they need, you know, locked-in starter just about anywhere. They they do have some weak parts, um, one of which coming into the season was along the interior offensive line, but they've also kind of um, switched that around because... They brought in Spencer Brown to the lineup, and as a rookie, he has performed really well. And upon going back and watching the Titans game, you know, everyone remembers the play where he he gave gave up the pressure that led to Josh Allen's interception that put the, the Titans at the doorstep. That was a really bad play by Spencer Brown, probably his worst of the three games so far. But the rest of his game against the Titans was pretty good. I mean, it, that's why those plays are kind of deceiving. Um and he has definitely stepped it up as as the as the season at, at, in his first three starts to the point in which he's been one of their more consistent offensive linemen so far. Um, it, uh, across the rest of the offensive line, John Feliciano turned his season around. Deion Dawkins has been really good the last few weeks. Um, Daryl Williams looks much better at guard than he did at tackle. And then Mitch Morse, um, he allowed a sack against the Titans, which was his first of the year, but he's been really good this season. So that need coming into the season, Spencer Brown has basically helped solve that because uh, Daryl Williams has moved inside and taken over one of their biggest weaknesses, which was at guard. Outside of that, like I'm, I'm really struggling to find a, a position where the Bills, you say, need to get a starter, maybe a pass rusher, but you're just not going to get a pass rusher at the deadline, especially not when you have one of consequence that can fit under their salary cap structure right now. I mean, they've got a little over $4 million in cap space, which is a big component to the trade deadline. And the way the deadline works for those that want to kind of look at the numbers, all of the, the, the guaranteed um, bonus money, that stays with the team that is, that is trading away the, the player because that was, um, that was given to them. What has already been paid out. I should say. So like signing bonus prorations, um, roster bonuses that are paid out uh, at the beginning of the league year, uh, that stuff holds with with the current team. The only stuff that transfers over are the base salaries uh, that are remaining on the contract and then also uh, whatever uh, future bonuses that have yet to be paid out. Uh, that that also travels with, with the contract itself. So when you look at it from that perspective, you need to find a salary and also the for the base salary, it's not the entire base salary, what you see on like overthecap.com, who does a great job compiling all those uh, different contracts. It's 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 prorated to so where you divide it by 17 and however many games that the team has left, that's that's how much of the base salary for this year goes to goes to this contract. It goes to um, the 2021 salary cap for the Bills, the acquiring team, I should say. Um so that's important to kind of keep an eye on just because it kind of scopes the entire thing. And so pass rusher is like 
okay, sure, they could they could add another one, but are they are really going to find one of consequence that's going to fit their cap structure at the moment? Um, and especially with all of the young guys that they want to get time to, they're still they still are completely committed to Mario Addison, which you know I, I've shared my thoughts last week, why or two weeks ago I should say why maybe they should think about sitting him as the season goes along, but um, but they value his experience over everything. So I think they'll probably think to themselves, all right, wait, you know, take um, something off these young players' plates and and see how they grow throughout the season to where maybe they uh, hit their hit their stride late in the year um, as opposed to, you know, watching them burn out at the beginning of the year and then and then having no growth throughout the season. So I think they'll probably trust in in those three young guys, um, Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and Boogie Basham to get them for it. So outside of pass rusher, then you start to look at the depth part of it, which is where I think this trade deadline comes into focus for the Bills. They're not dead set on needing to make a move for any position, but there are a handful of positions that I think are worthy of the conversation. And the first of which has come into light because of uh, the most recent injury for the Bills, and that's Dawson Knox. His hand injury, however much time he's going to miss, they probably they didn't put him on IR, which is a good sign that they think he's going to be able to get back within a, a three-game window here. Um, and so they might not have to deal with not having him for more than two games. But I still believe that if you look at it from an optimistic side of things, that this injury to Dawson Knox was maybe not, maybe not a blessing is uh, that that's the wrong word, but it's at least good to get the information now, as opposed to later in the year and finding out then, because now the bills get to see what this offense looks like without Dawson Knox, how much they lose. And I think the drop off from Dawson Knox to Tommy Sweeney is close to the biggest drop-off from starter to backup of anywhere on the team. Sweeney is a super nice story. Everybody loves him in the locker room. Um, He just does not give the team the type of, uh, I guess, explosive down-the-field asset that Dawson Knox is. And it's tough to find that. It, It definitely is. But... Sweeney to me has never looked more than maybe a uh, a backup tight end, a depth guy, uh, good blocker. You know, it's consistent with his hands. He'll catch basically everything that you throw at him, but he's not going to get you too many more yards after the catch. And that's an area where Dawson Knox has really shined throughout the entirety of his career. So when you lose that and the ability to make a defense pay deep down the field. When things break down, and even on on general routes where maybe you you pull a double move with Dawson Knox and you lose those capabilities because Tommy Sweeney can't get that separation against linebackers and safeties, I think this is a a huge week for Tommy Sweeney to prove that he can be at least seventy percent or eighty percent of the guy that that Dawson Knox is, and if it doesn't go well or if he's just kind of a non-factor and they feel like that they need to play four wide receiver a a lot more often with Gabriel Davis, 
um, that makes the offense more predictable to the defense. And I don't think Brian Dable likes that. And I don't think the Bills should like that. So what I'm thinking is, if Sweeney doesn't show that that he's capable to fill in for a, a long-term absence, should it happen with Dawson Knox, because you never know with injuries, then this is a wonderful opportunity uh, at the trade deadline to find a tight end who might be on the outside looking in out of his roster that can at least give you that baseline athleticism that you would be uh, missing with Tommy Sweeney in the lineup. And just overall improving your depth on the roster. There are a couple of names out there that that look appealing. I mean, um, but I think more than anything, they just need to see from, from Tommy Sweeney above all else and figuring out if he can do the job um, as as a long-term replacement. Um, like I said, they they really like him as a as a human, um, but they need to see it on the field. This is going to be the biggest game of his career, no doubt about it. They get to find out if 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 he can play, and if he can't on a on a big snap share, then then they need to make a move at, at the trade deadline because that uh, that tight end room is thin, and um, tight end has become one of their bigger pieces to their offense this season, especially for how proficient that they've been in 11 personnel this year. So they, they uh, would probably hate to lose that. So tight end is is the first spot I'm cer- certainly looking at. The other spots that I think uh, warrant consideration here, um, I look at cornerback. I mean, it, this one seems to be a, a pretty, pretty glaring one to me, um, just because their depth, once you get past the, the top three, really falls off. I mean, people like Dane Jackson, but Dane Jackson was nowhere close to Levi Wallace in this training camp. Um, I don't know that you can necessarily go into a game and with the inconsistencies that Dane Jackson has showed on tape in his uh, extended outings on defense, I don't know that uh, that uh, he'll get through a game without getting picked on too too often because you know, Taron Johnson has completely turned his career around to the point in which he's now one of their best players on defense. Tredavious White has been as solid as ever. Levi Wallace has been pretty good this season. One of his best years so far. Um, might have might even be his best. I'd have to go back and look at my grades, but he. Um, it would represent a, a drop off, and then once you get past Dane Jackson, who's a little bit undersized for what they usually like in their cornerbacks anyway. Once you get past Dane Jackson, you have Saran Neal, who is not a boundary cornerback. He's he's probably more of like a a matchup based uh, tight end checker, which is what he was against Kansas City. Then you've got Cam Lewis, who they can bring up from the practice squad, but he's more of a nickel. Very, very small, uh, way smaller than what they look for uh, as a boundary zone cornerback. And and past him, you've got Rashad Wild Goose on on the practice squad, but he's nowhere close to ready just yet, which is why it leads me to believe that cornerback could could be a spot where they look for a depth guy, maybe with some experience that can help them in the event of an injury to one of Tredavious White or Levi Wallace. Because if Tredavious White goes down, that's a huge loss to this roster. I mean, he does so much for them, dissuades a a quarterback from throwing to his side quite a bit, 
um, which is why Levi Wallace has been as impressive as he is this year. And um, and then it, you replace him with a guy that would be a downgrade for Levi Wallace, let alone for Tredavious White. So that's why maybe some experience here might uh, might come into play. And and you never know. There there could also be some post trade market um, releases uh, of veterans around the league to where they can bring them in and and go about it that way. But but yeah, the Bills I think. They could definitely use, because they only have five active cornerbacks on their roster, six if you kind of count Cam Lewis um, basically being a, a practice squad to call up when it need. But the boundary spot is is the big issue here, and I think that's one that they, they could, uh, it, it would uh, behoove them to address at some point throughout the year. And then the last spot, I, I think, is kind of sneaky, but one that just because they have a lot of players doesn't mean that they have the right player. But I look at defensive tackle as one spot that I think they could possibly address. And I know it's ridiculous to think about because they've got 11 defensive linemen on this active roster right now. It is, I I don't remember a time I've seen the bills hold that many defensive linemen on their team in, in the time I've been covering them. It's a lot. And they're having to make two to three inactive every single week, which is a slight issue. But because it it, um, it takes some younger players off the field. But they haven't really been getting maybe the, the production out of their rotational pieces at defensive tackle that they would have liked. Uh, and it, it has to be for the right player. Like, I'm looking probably premierly, not at a run stuffer, because they've got that in Latulule, they've got that in Harrison Phillips. I would be looking, if it were me, um, at a guy that can generate some pressure from the interior. And the guy that immediately sprang to mind, and I, in one of my bi-week, um, bi-week articles that I wrote for The Athletic, I mentioned his name because I thought he could be really... A, a really nice fit for this defense with with how he plays and the position he plays and everything uh, along those lines. But Malik Collins of the Texans is someone who continues to flash in the middle of a pretty bad defense. He's really good at winning his one-on-ones, plays the three-technique spot, and Vernon Butler has been an outright disappointment. Um, Harrison Phillips has been, uh, you know, going back and forth between active and inactive. Justin Zimmer, they really like, and it doesn't mean that Zimmer would have to have to be gone here, but um, it, it would mean it would probably mean Vernon Butler would would have to either be traded or released outright. And I don't know that they would be losing all that much by releasing Butler, seeing as how he hasn't played a game for them since September 26th. Now, but I think I do believe there's a chance he's active this week. You know, the injury to Zimmer maybe changing things up. Uh, the Dolphins being as um, quick a passing attack and RPO-based. Um, maybe they just want some guys who can plug up some space. I think that's something that Butler can do. But rushing the passer, Butler's just not proficient. And and he's proved that over his, um, well, now into his second season for the Bills. And that's something that they're lacking when Ed Oliver leads the field, leaves the field. And it's something that's so important to the Bills' defense. So, like, a guy like Malik Collins, to me, really stands out because, A, he's got the ability that you look for from that three-technique spot. B, he um, 
has a really manageable contract and it expires at the end of the year. So that way you're not really um, doing too much, putting yourself uh, out too much based on his contract. And you can even recoup by getting a uh, compensatory pick uh, a- after the fact. And I, I just, it doesn't necessarily have to be him, but like when you look, you look at it. He's his base salary for his remaining base salary for the year is two million dollars, and he's got a one million dollar per game roster bonus. So, looking looking at the final, you know, whatever, uh, however many games, I mean, it's it's not it's not all that prohibitive from what they're trying to do. You would be adding probably at most two million to the to your salary cap um, based on what you're doing, and you still have an extra two million and change and in uh, room for what you're what you're looking to do um, uh, throughout the rest of the season if you have to do an emergency signing things like that so there's there's a lot of benefit and I would even wonder if maybe they can flip Butler for Collins straight up and attach a draft pick to it so that way you get the rest of Butler season off your books and it just makes more sense from from a cap standpoint but yeah that that's that's kind of the along the lines of what I'm thinking and he's a free agent like I said so there's just a lot of interesting little spots. And if they can find someone in that mold, Collins is someone that just stands out to me because I think he's severely underrated. And I think he could be a difference maker on this, on this defense in a rotational role. Or even if Ed Oliver doesn't hit the hit to the point that they want him to get to, uh, he could even take over as a starter because he's been playing starter reps for the Texans so far this season. It's just a matter of posing that threat to opposing offenses consistently. And to this point, the defensive line just hasn't done it consistently enough. We've seen it, what, two out of six games so far? Kansas City was great. Um, The Miami game was great. And, you know, Washington, they they definitely handled their business because Heineke held on to the ball pretty long. Um, it It just needs, they need more out of it. And I think from that perspective, especially from the interior, bringing in an additional piece to help that makes everyone's lives easier from the interior guys to the edge rushers to the linebackers uh, that are blitzing on the play. More attention that they have to pay to an interior rusher, the the better it is, especially when they rotate defensive linemen like they do. And and the moment you take Ed Oliver off the field, there hasn't been enough of a push from the interior to this point. So I think that's where they could stand to benefit. So those are just a few of the ideas that I have. Um, and I think they'll maybe guys that they can move out. I know Vernon Butler is, is someone that I mentioned. Uh, I would not be surprised if, if they move on from him just because of his contract. And uh, maybe if they can make him part of a deal just to open up a roster spot, which is a part of this too, right? They have um, the depth at basically their entire roster to where you don't, know who they're taking off the roster but I think he's one of the candidates for that if they do acquire someone without cutting or trading someone away I think Butler's a candidate there the other trade candidate that you know I've been asked about not only by fans but also um, some some of my colleagues around the league that are you know trying to put together some trade deadline stuff for uh, their fan bases is Cody Ford who has Seemingly fallen out of favor as as a starter within the team. I mean, he got benched after three weeks. He uh, 
in his in that first game where he was benched, John Feliciano did not play um, because of a concussion, and Ike Butker started the game over Cody Ford. So that puts Cody Ford seventh at best right now on their depth chart, and that is kind of alarming. But to the point in which some are wondering, hey, would they move that guy? I'm I. My general thought process is that they probably hang on to him and and use him for depth because they know that they can use him for depth. And um, maybe the light goes on um, next season uh, when it's his contract year. Uh, it's a bit of a sunk cost at this point, but you're at the point where him as a depth player would probably be more meaningful than a, than the late round pick than that you would get for him in the scope of this season. Now, if they if they get their doors blown off by a team that wants to give a a fourth or fifth round pick for the guy, then by all means trade him away. But um, I don't know that Ford is necessarily worth more than a sixth or seventh round pick right now, based on the way his career has gone. And I, I think that I just don't know if a sixth or seventh round pick is worth. Um, pushing your depth at offensive line where there's a lot of injuries throughout the year. Um, I don't know if it's, if the juice is worth the squeeze there. So I would probably, if it's me, I would probably hang on to Cody Ford, but uh, you know, you never know what, what offer rolls to the door. Never say never um, when, when teams are offensive line hungry throughout the league. All right. So that's just kind of like a, a look at the trade deadline, what we could expect. I probably, if I had to guess, I probably think the bills don't do anything. But, you know, if they sustain an injury this week or, you know, like I said, Sweeney doesn't show up or they can get a deal on a guy like Malik Collins, I think that's that's a tough thing to kind of turn away. So I, I would probably put it as like a, a 50-50 thing more than, hey, they're going definitely going to make a trade or, you know, they're, they're totally against it. I, I think it's completely a coin flip based on the offers that uh, that Brandon Bean gets, the offers that maybe Brandon Bean can get to go through. And, uh, and certainly who they would be willing to say goodbye to uh, to make a spot for a new player. All right, so we're going to get into the matchup um, the matchup in in just a bit. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the trade deadline was, was relevant, and um, so is the stadium, which we'll get into next with Tim Graham. All right, we'll get uh, into the matchup in a little bit between the the second matchup between the Bills and Dolphins. But uh, before we get into all of that, I wanted to bring on my esteemed colleague uh, Tim Graham, who was just at the owners' meetings this past uh, this past weekend slash into this week, and there was uh, quite a few little nuggets coming out of the owners' meetings about the Bills Stadium. Uh, in its entirety. So first of all, Tim, thanks for jumping on the Buffalo beat. I know our, our boy Matthew has gone on to his own uh, his own adventure in New England, but I'm, I'm glad, to, glad, to, glad to have you here, partner. You groomed him. Uh, you got him ready to go. And now it's time for you to polish up a, another uh, rock, for lack of a better word. I, I, don't, I don't know about the decorum on Buffalo beat. I, I know on my podcast, I would have, I would have finished that metaphor, but I, I, I don't want to come, I don't want to come marching in here and, uh, and creating problems. Oh no, you're, you're good. I mean, I mean, long time listeners of the Buffalo beat. Remember the game after the Colts, 
uh, when we were in like a booth. <laughs> I don't remember what the hell we were yeah. talking about, but but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, good it, times. Yeah, it got uh, it got PG thirteen in a hurry. I I do recall. There was also a Buffalo Beat podcast uh, that involved Tyler Dunn that was recorded in my hotel room. Oh, that's uh, right. I wanted, was that Pittsburgh? Maybe it was it. Um, was it? It was Pittsburgh. It was Pittsburgh. It was the Renegade it was game. It was like three in the morning, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, that was that was late. People just cracking beers in the background. Yeah, that's 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 what happened. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tim, you just got back from the owners' meetings, and I, you you wrote a couple of really interesting stuff, really interesting things. Um, the first of which I think is the the big talker. Um, it wasn't the first thing you wrote, but it was it was the big talker because you know most every most every single fan that you know I come into contact with. You know, even family are like, "Hey, so what's the deal? Where's where's the stadium going to go? Like, what about downtown? What about downtown? It's this idea that that won't um, kind of die down, even though the rhetoric from the Pagulas and those in charge over there have have kind of poo pooed the idea. So, what? Uh, I mean, not to give away your your story here, but like, what what did you take away from um, what was said there and what it means going forward between Orchard Park versus downtown? Well, the striking thing for me, uh, it's been obvious for a few months that the Pagulas favor Orchard Park. And the reasons they say that they favor it is because it's going to cost about a billion dollars less. Um, the infrastructure is already in place. People know that it works. Uh, the roads in and out, while not ideal, are still you know, it's tried and true. And that's what people are used to. Um Things like sewer lines and transformers, pow little power stations, things like that that need are needed for a stadium are already there. And infrastructure uh, downtown will cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm not just saying two, so that way I can be plural with hundreds. Mm -hmm. We're talking 400, 500 million dollars of infrastructure. Infrastructure, I'm told, if you build the Orchard Park Stadium right across the street on uh, Abbott Road, uh, is about seven to nine million dollars. Huge, yeah. huge difference. I'd say. And infrastructure comes out of the taxpayer's pocket. You know, the Pagulas don't pay for infrastructure. Um, they're not going to pay for entrance and exit ramps off of the 190 uh, or to build new sidewalks that will be needed all throughout that downtown area, wide sidewalks too. Um, think of the disrepair that you see when you drive down Broadway, you know, all those things are going to need to be knocked down and, mm -hmm. and you're going to need to repair all those sidewalks because people are going to have to park a distance and walk to the stadium and then walk back to their cars at night. Uh, so people have to be safe with berms and, and walkways and, and that type of thing. And, um, and I know I'm getting a little far afield. Maybe I'm getting a little tangential, but there's also things like having to displace about 700 Buffalo residents. And uh, look, um, I, I won't try to avoid the topic by talking around it. So let me just say that there was is probably a strong held belief of what's the big deal. These people live in awful circumstances. Um, number one, it's hard for some human beings to even care about people who live in the projects. Uh, and number two, you may think, well, they deserve to get it. They should get out of the projects. Well, they're not getting 
they're not getting new houses. You know, these are people who are just going to have to move to similar circumstances, but then you're adding on a move and their kids go to schools that they might not, they're not going to have to switch schools and you might not have the ability to move. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things you can get into there. Um, but from a purely infrastructure standpoint, uh, there's also people who say, well, Charles Schumer can earmark uh, all, a, a whole bunch of money. Let's say just for the sake of discussion, uh, Buffalo is getting a billion dollars in this federal infrastructure uh, infusion. I think that Charles Schumer or Kathy Hochul or, or any governor or any uh, politician would like to spend, for example, $100 million on 10 projects not all the money on one project that benefits one thing. Um, so anyways, it's, it's a tricky thing. All the different excuses that people come up with with the downtown. Yeah, but well, well, this is what makes it easy. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where it makes sense. Really, there are reasons that aren't being brought up in which it totally subverts their point. And I think that's what Ralph, uh, uh, Ralph, Next, I'll be calling him Russ Brandon. Uh, that's where Ron Rakuya. That's where Ron Rakuya was was being forceful with his uh, words yesterday regarding the noise about downtown. Um, uh, Rocco Termini had a had a story in the Buffalo News uh, last week, and that included artist renderings. And we know how how crazy people get when they see a rendering, right? Buffalo is like the city of good renderings. Mm -hmm. yeah, the people love a rendering. Oh my God. It's going to look like this on in Allentown. Oh my God. This stadium can look great. Oh my God. Look what they're doing over at UB. Uh, oh my God. Look at the bridge that they're going to build to Canada. Um, oh my God. Look at Bass Pro. This is what Bass Pro is going to look like uh, <laughs> at Canal side. Um, but th so these renderings appear in the Buffalo news and, and I'm on the website and people say, look, Rocco Termini has solved it. Well, Ron Rakuya points out that Rocco Termini's uh, renderings were for a 1.1 million square foot facility. And Ron says new stadiums are 1.5 million square feet at least. Mm -hmm. And so factor in an extra third to a half. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the space that's required, uh, the safety things that are required regarding, you know, Look, the, look, uh, the NFL doesn't want to build a stadium in which skyscrapers look down upon it. I mean, if you think about what happened in Las Vegas a few years ago or, you know, you don't want a situation where people can fire things into your stadium. True. Uh, you don't want people who can just park a truck uh, uh, on a on an unguarded street right next to your stadium. I mean, you need space. You need buffer zones. You need all. there's all kinds of stuff that I'm getting into uh, here just to think about. Uh, and there are probably a dozen more that aren't coming to mind right now uh, that make downtown really tough. Oh, maybe number one to me, the, uh, number two after the price, but it's factoring into the price is it's going to take maybe two more years to build a downtown stadium than it would to build an orchard park because it's shovel ready mm -hmm. across Abbott Road. It's just a parking lot now. Right. Um, so you're going to have to do ground tests. You're going to have to tear down buildings. You're going to have to convince people who don't want to sell to sell uh, all the different things that you would have to do downtown. You're going to have to shut off power and water while you reroute all these things to customers who have it. And I'm talking about businesses like the Seneca Casino and whatever else. 
I mean, that's a tricky thing to do. And it takes a long time and it adds to uncertainty, the variables of inflation. So if you want the bills to seamlessly move from one stadium to the other, then Orchard Park really Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then uh, you have the tailgating factor that goes along with it. But I, oh, geez, yeah, I was going so I was going so rapid fire (laughs) off the top of my head. That's the other thing. Yeah, right. I will get back to to that part of it because they they've seemed to have earmarked that as kind of their identity for their fan base. Um, But I, I've always kind of wondered this, you know, they've kind of pulled a lot of their business in the downtown area out um, from, from what they had done. Do you think it might have been a little bit different um, had they not done that and maybe more of an emphasis to get downtown or is this just a feasibility kind of thing? Yeah, well, I I get the impression that they're pulling out of downtown more so because they've realized and this is this is my reading between the lines. This isn't any direct knowledge that I have regarding uh, the Pakulas and, and their thinking on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that they realized that the stadium and any kind of Pagulaville campus wasn't going to work as they were doing these studies. So these studies that we're quoting uh, were done three years ago. So think about three years ago, uh, and we were hearing, and I reported, uh, because a lot of people thought that these layoffs and these businesses and things that uh, as the Pagulas were recalibrating their businesses were COVID-related, and they weren't. These things were already in place, you know, the lifestyle thing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the priorities of PSE and maintaining lifestyle. And those all the, those reports were done months before pandemic, uh, before the pandemic really impacted anybody. I mean, COVID was barely in the news. Uh, they, nobody could have foreseen. Well, people weren't calculating COVID at the time that the Pagulas decided they needed to hit the reset button. Uh, so I think that that's probably lends itself to, all right, we now see how much this is going to cost downtown. Mm -hmm. This is not feasible. So we need to rethink what we're doing down here and all the different uh, developers who've snatched up buildings, uh, hoping to capitalize on a downtown stadium. Those are the people we're seeing quoted uh, in these Buffalo News uh, series of articles of saying, it's got to go downtown. I have, and, and they all say, we have no vested interest in this uh, I, none of my buildings are, are going to be in this footprint. The Pagulas don't need to buy my building. Oh, but a block away, you got four of them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that uh, you would love to be able to turn into restaurants or, or a parking lot. Maybe you want to knock them down and turn them into parking. I don't know. I mean, parking is probably one of the biggest ways to make money, um, public parking. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, um, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot going into it yeah. and, um, so anyways, uh, the Pagulas and their uh, their wishes to put it downtown, I think that they were they liked the option. And as CAA icon and populace came back with their studies, they realized that it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, under understandable um, for a lot of different reasons. So they've kind of, as we alluded right at the end of um, end of what you said, the, the first part that this tailgating identity is kind of them and um, the and the entire notion. And, you know, I've seen kind of a, a little bit of it going on back and forth on Twitter between fans, you know, whether or not it's, you know, it's it, it would 
completely change the scope of tailgating if you put a stadium downtown versus when you have it in Orchard Park, you basically have the entire area to yourself and uh, and you basically withhold that identity only with a completely new structure and you wouldn't have to go all that far away from where you're, you're playing your home games to where you're practicing, which is probably going to be what, right across the street? So, um, so what, I mean, when did the tailgating part of things really get chucked into this because that was uh that was kind of a, a a pretty alarming thing for a lot of people when they read your story yeah well the tailgating's always been there and i've made reference to it uh but that's the first time in which uh a member of pse really came out and made it a quote i mean you could take a look at um the different studies um even rocco termini's you know his his invented uh, renderings. Uh, you can take a look at those. And he says, well, there's tailgating within a whatever radius. Okay. Yeah. 10 spots here, 15 spots there. There's a tiny lot here. And are these people for liability reasons going to allow you to tailgate uh, depending on who owns these parking lots? Uh, does the first guy who jumps through a table and catches himself on fire in this parking lot, uh, then all of a sudden the owner of this lot has to uh, figure out, okay, no more tailgating, or you have to hit these rules. You can't tailgate the way you want to tailgate, no alcohol. I mean, who knows? Because it's going to be a billion different people. Uh, we know what the what the score is in Orchard Park. You know where you can park and do these things, and you've been probably been parking in the same lot for a number of years, and you know the owner of the house whose yard you're parking in, and, or the hammer lot, or whatever. You know the rules. You know what the thing is. But now it's here and there. And then you got to walk to the game, which is fine. But then what about in the fall? Like right now, it gets dark mm -hmm. uh, and it gets dark early, uh, earlier and earlier when you get into the winter and you got to walk back to your car. Um, you know, it, <laughs> there are it, who's going to take care of that car that you've parked on the street or parked in the I mean, there, are the, all these different uh, owners going to hire security? I mean, think about when you park at a Bison's game and you park at that lot that's uh, right by the train yard there in between the Buffalo News and the train yard. Mm -hmm. Is there an attendant there when you come back to your Bison's game uh, <laughs> afterwards? No, there's not. Certainly he takes not. your money and then he leaves. Uh, so who knows? There's all kinds of things with tailgating. Um, it's just spread out. It's dispersed all over the place. You're not going to have that communal, I am driving onto the Buffalo Bills campus, which you feel like you're doing when you turn down uh, Big Tree Road, and you start, and uh, as you head towards the stadium, and uh, uh, ECC is on your left, you're almost like you're driving into Six Flags. You know, you're driving <laughs> into Disney World, right? You're like, all right, this is where the this is the Bills stuff is going to happen here today, and you don't get that in in Pittsburgh. You don't get that in in Baltimore. Um, it, it's hard to do, and I think it's a lot more expensive, and there are just so many more variables that you have to throw into. I think the tailgating experience will be changed forever if if uh, the the stadium was built downtown and the businesses would be funneled not in, out to you having your your time in the parking lot, but into this bar, this restaurant, this little uh, pop-up that's set up on Sundays for you to pay a cover charge and come in. Um, that That's what it would be like downtown, I think. Mm -hmm. It is a very college-like setup the way that the bills have it now and there's not there aren't many um stadiums across the league that have a similar feel to it and you could probably count it on one hand how, how many have that because um it's just that's just not the way things are done anymore and i think that's kind of what makes 
Buffalo unique in a way, which is probably what they're getting to. So before I let you go, another quick wrinkle on that. Oh, just go for it. Another, I know we're going long here because I'm I, I'm a windbag. But <laughs> uh, okay, so parking ramps. You say, well, the parking can be taken care of. Build a couple of ramps. Well, can you tailgate in a ramp? Are you? You can probably, but you know, uh, can you bring a grill into a parking garage where there's a roof? You yeah. know, six feet over your head. Can you can you bring your grill in there? Are they going to let you drink in that parking garage with the chance of you falling off the side? Are they going to, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, you got all these little answers, these little remedies, but it, that, that you, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We can tailgate on the roof because uh, on the, on the top floor of the deck, because there's no ceiling. Uh, yeah. And they're not going to let you touch a drop of alcohol up there because you're going to fall to your death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Liability is a, is a major thing in that scenario. <laughs> I would think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are there are a lot of salient points there. Um, so that that's why I, that's what I was most interested about. And it, I mean, the fact that the that the Bills and Bills fans now have an ally in Jerry Jones now makes this whole thing even more kind of ridiculous. The the whole conjecture about the stadium idea. Yeah, people are really conflicted by that story I wrote about Jerry. <laughs> you see Jerry Jones, he's a trigger, right? He's oh, yeah. like, uh, well, it's like OJ. I get some of that. I mean, sorry, Jerry, I hate to compare you to OJ, but it's like you see Jerry Jones, you're like, I hate that guy. Like the Pagulas are Jerry Jones's client right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Jones is helping the Bills build a stadium. Yes, he's bringing PSLs, but anybody's going to bring P- PSLs are a thing. The Pagulas need to do PSLs because that's what the NFL does with any new stadium. Uh, that's not Jerry Jones. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And he's adding his influence, uh, with legends, global partnerships. That's the corporation that he founded, uh, or a firm, I should say that he founded with George Steinbrenner back in 2008. And, uh, so it's a Cowboys, the Yankees and an investment firm called Sixth street, uh, that now handle stadium operations management. They're going to help the Pagulas with their architect when it comes to that time. They're going to hire the crew that builds the stadium and tears down the old one and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. And, uh, and yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say it, it's got, it has to be a very conflicting thing for, for fans to see Jerry Jones, uh, basically saying, no, we love Western New York. Like after this, it just, how long ago was it that we were right. sitting here was that talking seven about? years ago right or whatever seven years ago i think like, like hey we got to look at toronto right <laughs> we got to grow that pie and now uh, he's like all this, about western new york right i love this john bon jovi he was smooth in that when i asked him about john bon jovi and he uh he said well the pagulas one upped him in the in the negotiation so that means i i like them more you know because they uh they out they outwitted john bon jovi who i love and have stated my my uh, adoration for as a businessman well they did better than john bon jovi therefore the pagulas you know it's uh, I'm like all right that's good i like that um, and then i also asked him about toronto i people should check out the story if they haven't already but i asked him about you know his how he used to think toronto uh was a, a possible uh, nfl market and he said oh it is an nfl market but they already have a team the buffalo bills oh Mic drop. It was good. It was good, Jerry. <laughs> Mic drop by Jerry. Um, real quick before I let you go, just be, just to kind of refresh everybody's memory, or you know, just to get everyone on the same page. What are what's the exact timeline of what's next uh, coming up with the stadium stuff? I know the the lease um, is is a part of this, and then you know actually coming to an agreement. So what what basically nuts and bolts uh, are we looking at up next here? Uh, the state study 
Mm -hmm. uh, will come out by AECOM. Uh, they are the, the uh, engineering firm that is hired by the governor's office to uh, examine what the state uh, should be in favor of uh, regarding a new Bill stadium in terms of location, dome, all that other stuff. Um, from people I talk with, it's expected to come back in agreement with the bills uh, and say, yep, you're right, um, and let's move forward. And so then we'll probably have negotiations that will begin in earnest um, between Erie County, uh, the governor's office, and uh, PSE. They will reach some sort of an agreement. All the legislators and the different politicians around uh, Erie County and within the state will argue about it and say, we want a bigger seat at the table, and, and that'll drag it out a little bit. But once the deal's struck, then the Pagulas uh, will hire their architect, and then we'll start to see some real rendering, some official mm -hmm. renderings. Anything that you've seen out there now is unofficial. Even the one that came from uh, CAA Icon and Populous on the report, there is one that's floating around there that came from that report, is fiction. It was done up as a cover to the report. It isn't, this is what we think the Bills Stadium should look like. This was just like, it's a stadium uh, with Bills insignia on it with, that looks new. Um, it, it's not, nothing has been done. Uh, so the next, the renderings that we see, uh, Will, that are official will be the first renderings. And, and then you can start to get excited about what the stadium is really going to look like. All right. And then um, the, the lease. Oh, of, and I guess I should say, and right. they think that they can get that agreement done by the end of the calendar year. Interesting. Okay. So, which is, which is fast, but yeah. that it's encouraging when, when you hear um, PSE, Mark Poland cars has gone on record and Kathy Hochul is saying this can get done by the end of the year. That means at least all the people who are involved in this, um, you know, have that timeline. Now they might not hit it, but that that's their intention, I think is encouraging. And things have, you know, seemed borderline chummy between PSE and Mark Poland cars and that last press conference that they just did when they announced that everyone had to be vaccinated to go to the stadium. And like they, they were, they were, it wasn't like a, go ahead, Mark, go ahead. It was like a, like they were kind of in it together sort of thing. Right. And, and we've seen uh, Mark Poland cars took a shot at Buffalo. Um, and that pretty much saying that Buffalo, the, the idea of Buffalo getting involved in these discussions because a stadium going downtown, well, what's the city going to contribute to this? And that's something that uh, that's the 53rd reason uh, that downtown is, is a problem. Mm -hmm. What can the city actually contribute to this? And Mark Polencard says zip. He's like, they, they have nothing and they have nothing to give. Um, so uh, that was a pretty bold statement by Mark mm -hmm. Polencard's uh, yesterday or the day before. So. Um, I think you can see that everybody's intention is for this, this stadium to go downtown. I think it would be a, an upset, uh, if the state came back and said, nah, hold on now. Uh, we don't know that if we agree with PSE's take on this, uh, that would be, for me, that would be a big story. It, you meant it, it would be an upset if, if it went anywhere, but Orchard Park. You, you At this point, that's yeah. what I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. Um, all right. Uh, well, if you haven't yet, be, be sure to head over to theathletic.com, check out both of, uh, Tim's stories from this week. The one where Jerry Jones suddenly becomes your hero. And then, uh, the, <laughs> the other <laughs> one where, uh, where, uh, Tim spoke with Ron Makuya of PSE and he had some pretty, uh, 
flamethrowing words about a stadium downtown, I think I would categorize it. Is that a misstep? I think that's appropriate. He was fired up. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, Tim, thank you so much for jumping on the Buffalo beat. It's It's been too long. We'll get you on here before too long. Let's do this more frequently. I agree. All right. That was Tim Graham. Okay, so a lot of great stuff about the stadium from our buddy Tim Graham. Um, answered a lot of questions that I'm sure a lot of people have been thinking about. And it's 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 a hot topic around, around the league because around around the the area I know and around the fan base because of how much uh, how much thought goes into something like this and what it could do for um, for where you place it, everything along those lines. But uh, but yeah, it's he is the guy for stadium coverage. And when you hear what he's saying and perhaps what the Pagulas themselves are thinking and the people closest to the Pagulas, it, it makes a lot of sense why they would, uh, uh, why the, the conversation has revolved around Orchard Park for the time being. All right, but that's enough for, for the stadium. Let's get into the matchup because we haven't really talked a lick about the Dolphins so far. They're one in six. Um, they have dropped six straight games. They lost their last two to the Jaguars and to the Falcons. Um, but the difference is, in those games, they have looked borderline competent um, to the point in which Tua Tungavailoa, I think, I just, I, I don't understand what the Dolphins are doing with the guy. Um, he's looked pretty good, if, if I'm honest, over the last two games, especially on film. I mean, he had two bad interceptions, but you'll have that with, with young players. Um, you know, one where you should have took a, taken a sack rather than trying to force the ball out. Uh, that's something that he has to learn from. It's something that Josh Allen went through. It's something that all young quarterbacks go through. Those regrettable moments that make you evolve as someone that, that realizes that, hey, it's okay to take a sack. Unless you're Jared Goff and you're just completely sack-averse to the point in which you completely put your team into peril. Um, he hasn't learned that trick, so it, it probably is not going to happen for him. But... It's a learning point for Tua, because this is still only his 14th game, and he's looked good. Um, basically, when he hasn't thrown those interceptions, he's extremely accurate. He's decisive. He looks poised. Um, he goes through his progressions. Um, he's he's accurate to the point in which um, it's it really stresses a defense, and uh, they've really leaned on rookie receiver Jalen Waddell. Um, with how he's able to get open on these intermediate routes and his, you know, yards per catch has been low in, in some of these games. Like I think he had 10 for 70 against the Jaguars, but it's still really helping the, the dolphins because it's helped their run game kind of get, get a bit better than they have been previously. And certainly it's helped move the ball a lot more, um, than they had been in previous weeks without Tua available to them. So Tua has, to me, he's looked good and he, I think the Bills have taken notice of him as well because they, they to basically every single person um, that we spoke with throughout the week said, Tua looks more confident. And I don't know that the Bills are necessarily going to be able to get away with their same game plan that they went into with um, for the Dolphins game the last time around. They knocked Tua out of the game. They got a bunch of pressure on him. They frustrated him. They, they um, really pushed him into some mistakes. And... The Dolphins are going to be prepared based on that that limited sample of the concept that the Bills were were throwing at the Dolphins. Uh, 
So that is going to be something that I'm keeping an eye on. You know, the, I think the the zero spot that the Dolphins put up against the Bills last time is not representative of their offense. I think their offensive line has gotten slightly better um, than the last time we saw them. They, they made a change. They took Austin Jackson, who A.J. Epinesa just completely steamrolled in, in that first outing. They moved him from left tackle and inside to left guard. Still not good. Not a good player, but um, he's a bit... He's less of an issue inside than he was on the outside. And they've replaced him with the rookie that they picked in the second round, Liam Eichenberg. Um, they, uh, they've they also got a new um, a new center playing. Austin Ryder is in the game for Michael Dieter. Um, and then their the right side has remained the same with Robert Hunt and uh, Jesse Davis. So it, it's, it's still not a good offensive line. It's still one of the worst in the league. But they have played better as of late. And it's helped their running game get on track a little bit. Miles Gaskin looked like a multi-dimensional threat for them. So I do think the Dolphins will actually be able to move the ball in this game and, and put up some points and try and exploit some of the issues. They they do a lot of RPO. They do a lot of uh, quick stuff, uh, quick passing. Tua Tungabailoa has gotten the ball out uh, 2.38 and 2.39 seconds on average the last two weeks. So they might even look to get the ball out quicker against the Bills based on what uh, what the Bills showed at them last time, so uh, I, I think that's that's the um, that's where this matchup might be a little bit closer. But I also believe that this game is ripe for the Bills' offense to really get better um, than they were the last time they played the Dolphins. I, I think the passing offense, in particular, uh, is something that. I've got my eye on this week because they know what to anticipate with man-to-man coverage. Uh, they burned it a few um, meetings ago, early in the season last year. It was a big offensive explosion for the Bills um, with a lot of crossers against man-to-man coverage and um, beating that that physicality with good route running. And I think um, the Bills, Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, they know what they're getting into. Um, I don't love the uh, the Dolphins' defensive line and their pass rush altogether, and I think they're they're going to have some issues getting some heat on Josh Allen. But one thing that kind of curtailed that or kind of worked to the Dolphins' benefit is if Spencer Brown cannot play in this game. He missed the first two practices of the week with a back injury. Um, I'm recording this before practice on Friday, so we'll see if he's able to go or maybe if he's labeled questionable or something along those lines. But if he doesn't play, then that means either Tommy Doyle is in the lineup, Ryan Bates is in the lineup, Cody Ford's in the lineup at right tackle, or Darrell Williams is in the lineup at right tackle. And all four of those options are not great. My guess would be they would probably bring Darrell Williams back to the outside just because of his experience there the last year. They started him there this year, and you know him on the outside is probably the... Uh, the the least cause of concern for them of those other options I talked about and and then you know change the the right guard spot whether it's Butker or Ford probably Butker based on the way we saw it in in the Texans game so you know it, if Darrell Williams did struggle a bit against Emmanuel Ogba the last um, time these two teams played so that could be one to keep an eye on but I do think Allen would will be mostly in a clean pocket. Or at least he should be. Deion Dawkins has improved. John Feliciano has improved. Mitch Morris has been really good. 
Um, so well, that's that's something to keep an eye on because if he has the time, then these Bills receivers are going to be able to burn this man coverage eventually. And with Diggs and Sanders especially, I think those two guys can can have a really nice game in the passing offense in totality. So I'm expecting a bit of a high-scoring affair. And the weather looks like it's working out. Um, looks like, uh, from from what I saw earlier today, it looks like some, uh, some early rain for tailgating and then going into um, pretty clear, clear skies. I think I saw like 12-mile-an-hour winds, so negligible for a guy like Josh Allen. Um, and... And yeah, I, I don't really see that standing in the way of the passing offense really getting going. Maybe they do some play action. I think a big part of this is um, the fact that they don't have Dawson Knox. They can't really run as much too tight end stuff as they would have liked to. Uh, maybe Reggie Gilliam. But it, without Dawson Knox on the field, it, it does not threaten the defense in the same way in those two tight end or one tight end, one fullback, and they'll just go all in on trying to stop the run. So I, I look at this as a potential uh, big big time passing game to get them back on track from w- how they missed so many plays against the Dolphins the last time around. It, it was the game where we looked at it and go, okay, what's going on with Josh Allen? If we remember, it was so long ago that it doesn't really feel like it anymore, but um, that's what was happening and how he wasn't throwing to his right side, that was a thing. And how he wasn't hitting on his intermediate targets, that was another thing. Um, Missing Emmanuel Sanders on a deep pass, that would have been a touchdown. That was a thing. So um, I I do think the Bills will want to come out of this bye with a strong statement from their passing offense to be more efficient, um, complete their passes in the intermediate at a higher clip than they have been, and certainly uh, really pushing a defense in man-to-man and making this team pay for... Uh, wanting to run man-to-man coverage against them, so I, I, I look at I look at their passing offense to have a, a pretty substantial day. So that leads us to the picks portion of of the program because this is a, a huge spread between these two teams. I mean, um, it early on in the week it opened up at uh, thirteen and a half, I believe it was early in the week, um, and then as we've kind of gone on. It has even gotten larger, um, not by much as of right now, but it's according to BetMGM, it's 14 points. Bills are favored by 14 points. The over-under is 48.5. That's gone up, too, by the way. That was at 47.5. Um, I uh, will pick the Bills to do both of those things, cover the spread and for this game to hit the over, because I, I look at... Um, the way that the Dolphins are set up, I think their defense is going to, uh, you know, really fall short in this game to the Bills' offense, the Bills' passing offense in particular. Uh, I just, I really like the um, for the from the Bills' perspective. I think Josh Allen getting as much time as I think he'll get um, as a as a thrower will be conducive to them potentially lighting up and wiggling free and, and everything like that. Uh, they want to, and they have a bit of a eh, cliche, clip up, chip on their shoulder right now based on their inefficiency throughout um, the red zone and and to really capitalize on all of their opportunities to the point in which I think they're going to try and come back and, and deliver a statement from, from that perspective. And usually when they feel like that they're being a little bit shunned by 
people or the conversation is starting to go a certain way, then they come back with a statement. And I think this is a, a potential statement for them. So I, I like the, the Bills offense to score 30 plus points in this game. I think the reason why I like the over is because I think the Dolphins offense is very underrated. I believe that Tua will be able to move the ball a bit uh, against this Bills defense. The quick passing attack, Jalen Waddle's going to be big for him. Miles Gaskin is someone that, you know, if they let him get going in the RPO game, he's also a, a good receiving target out of the backfield. He's definitely improved from the last time that we saw him. And, you know, I, I didn't really see too much out of him the first time around, but uh, he's looked a lot more explosive this time and to the point in which I think he's a, a, a pretty solid to slightly above average running back in, in the NFL right now. So those are the two guys that I kind of have my eye on. They're especially going to want to get the ball out of Tua's hands quickly because the offensive line is still a bit of a mess in front of him. And as long as they can do that, limit how much actually gets to him, kind of keep the Bills thinking in that RPO game, go heavy on the RPO game uh, to try and get get the Bills to freeze in their spot rather than rushing it at Tua. Because once if Tua has the time to get through progressions, then he's he's so solid. Um, like he, he sees the entire field, which is really rare for a younger, younger quarterback. I think two is good. I think he's a, he's a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. And uh, honestly, I've, I have no idea why the dolphins are trying to rush him out of town at this point. He, you know, is his average yards per um, completion the highest right now? No, it's not, but he has the potential to have that grow. I mean, he hasn't even started 16 or 17 games yet. So I just don't get it. Uh, I think they're desperate to win, and that's why you're hearing all this nonsense about trades and everything like that. But yeah, I, I, I think I think Tua is proficient, and I, I think uh, he can move the ball against this Bills offense or against this Bills defense in this game. So I've got the Bills winning this game, 36 to 21, barely covering um, that 14 point spread, but covering nonetheless. And I, I do think Miami maybe an early touchdown score, but I think. As the game wears on, I think that's where we'll start to see them move the ball at a bit higher clip. Maybe if the Bills develop a a pretty big lead, because I think their offense is going to be good from start to finish in this game. Passing offense, I should say. So yeah, I'll, I'll take the Bills 36-21, to 21, have them covering along with the over. So a lot to chew on there, but as the Bills should come out of this game, I think they should be able to... B5 and 2 heading down to Jacksonville for their next matchup uh, against a team who currently has one win. So yeah, it uh the Bills are back home. It's the first time that's happened in a couple of games. It's the only uh home game uh, in this little five game stretch here. And they had two away and then they've got this one home and they've got another two away the, the next couple of weeks at, at Jacksonville and at the New York Jets. But yeah, this, uh, this is the part in the season where great teams just dominate or great teams handle their business and they win those games and get themselves to a spot where they're in the catbird seat where they are looking down at the rest of them. And I think the Bills have a very strong opportunity to do that right in a row here, leading up to a game against an Indianapolis team at home where the Bills are probably going to get a bit of a better team than what the Colts were the, the last or the early part of the season. 
So yeah, the Bills will take on the Dolphins, and uh, that will be the next time we all speak next because it's uh, we'll be getting back into our post game shows. Uh, Matt Bovey from Channel Seven, the sports director at WKBW, he'll be joining me uh, as he always does for those post game shows, and we'll go over this Dolphins game, maybe t- talk a little trade deadline as it starts to get a little bit clear and figure out exactly where the Bills go from here and and uh, what next week could look like, especially into another week against a pretty overmatched opponent. All right, so that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscali. If you haven't yet, head to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Get yourself a nice, uh, a nice discount uh, for a yearly subscription to The Athletic. That's, again, go to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you after the game. After the 1 o'clock game, I should say, no more 3 a.m. podcast on Sunday. See you then.